0: You're finding your way to your seat. I'm going to have my lovely assistant come on up here. And if you look to my left, which would be your right, this is Ruth. Everybody say hi, Ruth. Ruth. Now, (laughs) you may not know this about Ruth, but uh, you'll be finding out in the next couple weeks. Ruth is an amazing runner. When I say amazing, I mean, okay, I didn't say that was going to be part of it. Okay, so for Ruth's sake, we're just going to say Ruth is better than you are at running. All right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so she's going to start jogging over there and visually for this entire message she's just going to keep on running. And so I I'm, I'm hoping that you will uh, have a visual that you hold for this whole message because today we're going to talk in our series about upgrade, about running your own race. About running your own race. And so we've been in this series about called upgrade and we've talked about How important it is at the beginning of the year we just evaluate things in our lives and we make decisions like this is the year I'm gonna upgrade my computer or this is the decision the year I'm gonna upgrade my finances or this is the year. I'm gonna upgrade uh, My car or this is the year we're gonna add a, a kid. We're gonna upgrade our family size, whatever it is but but we wanted to spend some time Talking about how do we upgrade areas of our journey with Jesus and we've talked about lifting come on pushing your prayers up Uh, We've talked about managing your heart. Come on, that's been been pretty fun. And so we've been walking through the series. We're in the fourth step here. And today I want to talk about running your own race. Now, how many of you in here really love running? Let me see your hands. Like, you love it. You guys are sick. You're dismissed. Service is over for you. Head out to the car. We, uh, we, we, we got nothing for you for the rest of the service, except Ruth, you stay, because um, we, need, we need Ruth. <laughs> I don't understand you folks that love running. I am awful when it comes to running. It is one of my least favorite things to do, and so I was thinking about this. I, uh, uh, a few years back, I was working for the Park and Rec District, and my boss at the Park and Rec District asked me if I wanted to start exercising with him at lunch, And I was like, oh, yeah, that's cool chance to exercise with the boss. Well, you know, as the boss, he uh, was in another, uh, I'm just going to say a financial ability than I was in. And so he had paid for a personal trainer to work with him for months before he invited me to come and work with him, okay? So he was significantly ahead of me when I started working out with him. And he was done working out with a personal trainer, and he thought, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll bring this guy along with me so I'm not bored. So... I'm, I'm over there running with my boss. Now, the other thing I didn't know is he was a college soccer player. And so, so he was pretty good at running. I didn't realize what I was getting into. So we get over there to work out, and we hop on the treadmill. And I'm like, okay, you know, he's, he's worked with the trainer. He probably knows what he's doing. And he immediately starts cranking the number on that treadmill up. And I'm looking over, and I'm like, hmm, cranking my number up, right? And pretty soon I'm running. And he's like light, like a deer, like this, just, and I'm running. And it's like, Kerplunk, kerplunk, kerplunk! Right, and my heart is racing, sweat is pouring down my face, and he's got a number on his thing, and mine says his number point one more. Right, and I'm there's no way I'm letting the boss outrun me, and it's my first day exercising, and you know who knows how long, and I just want to let you know that didn't end well for me. It ended with a visit to a doctor a little bit later in life, uh, and uh, and I remember I was talking to this doctor about my calf that I had had this problem with. And, and she was funny. She said, hey, you don't have a runner's body, so you shouldn't start out the way that you started out. And I was like, are you kidding me? And so here's what I want you to catch. If you don't remember anything else, and you just check out after this, and you're just amazed by Ruth as she runs, we all got to run our own race. When you try to run somebody else's race, it ends up catastrophic for you. It's not going to end up well. And I was thinking about it. We all need to stay in our lane. I was thinking, here, here's the thing, and you know this is true. You're driving in traffic, which we get around here from time to time, right? Doesn't it always seem like the other lane is the faster lane every time you're driving in traffic? Am I the only one? And it's worse if someone else is in the car pointing it out. My sidekick, right? I don't know why you can get over in this lane over here. These guys are all over there, right? And something happens we start looking at somebody else's lane and it looks better than our lane and so what do we do we risk our lives and threaten to crash our vehicles and the lives of everyone in our vehicles so that we can bomb over into somebody else's lane and as soon as we step on the gas what happens to our lane It stops right life isn't better in someone else's lane and we now you might just need to hear this this morning You might wreck your car slash life by trying to pull into someone else's lane. Come on. And it wasn't ever worth the risk. You could have stayed in your lane and been okay. So today I just want to talk about this idea that we struggle on what it means to run our own race. And I want to talk about this idea of comparison because comparison is so dangerous. And we do it all the time. We struggle with this idea of how do we know if we're doing good or we're not doing good? How do we know if we're doing a good job or not a good job? Who are we using as our mirror when we compare ourselves? I want you to think about it for a second. Who do you use when you start wondering, am I doing a good job? I'm going to throw a, a question up here. I want to ask you guys, what or who am I going to look at to tell me if I'm all right? Think about this. When it comes to raising your kids, who do you look at? wonder if you're doing okay. Do you look at the neighbors and how they're doing with their kids? Do you think about your mom and dad and how they did? Are you at the school pickup, picking up your kids, looking at what everybody else is driving? Are you evaluating? Do I have them in enough activities? Do I have them in too many activities, not enough activities? Am I struggling with how many activities? Are my kids above average, below average? Did I do a good job? I'm just talking about kids right now, huh? Let's talk about, man, how am I doing on my personal income? Do I have what everyone else, who is my measure for what a good job is on my personal income? Is it what somebody else did? Is it what my parents had? Is it what my coworker has? And we start asking questions that take us to a very dangerous spot when we start playing the comparison game. And can I even word it this way? When we start involving ourselves in the comparison trap, there's no life in it. There's no life in it. And here's why, and I love this. Uh, For for you today, you may be here and just thinking, wow, this is interesting. Somebody's running, and I don't know what's going on over here, and maybe you just got drugged to church today. I'm so glad you're here today because what we're going to talk about today, no matter what honestly you believe about Jesus, you have to deal with this in your life. You have to deal with this pressure of everybody else's expectations. Here's how I know. You scroll through Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is, and you look and see how everybody else is doing, and there subconsciously you go, hmm, I wonder if I'm doing that well. We struggle with that. We all struggle with it. Years before we had Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all those things, right, we would just open People Magazine. And we'd say, oh, look how these people are living. Look what's going on there. Or maybe we'd watch um, lifestyles of the rich and faith. I don't know. What I don't know. Or maybe you go all the way back to like days of our lives and so far. Whatever it is, you are somehow measuring how the other half lived, and, and there was a natural pressure to either meet or exceed or somehow deal with those expectations. And here's what's incredible about Jesus: He cares a lot about how we deal with this tension. In fact, In the scriptures, there's story after story about folks who struggle with this very same deal. Because we look over at Ruth running her race and we think, is that what success is? Can I do that? If I can't do that, am I a failure? How do I manage running a race that I can't run? And if you got on the treadmill and you tried to put your numbers the same as Ruth and run her routine, come on now. Someone asked, how come you're not going to preach on there? And I thought, man, everybody would get dismissed in five minutes if I had to preach. I'd be stuck in wind at about two minutes. And by five minutes, I'd be talking to Jesus in my prayer language because I couldn't get anything else out. And you guys would be like, wow, this got super Pentecostal in here today. Pastor Mike is talking to Jesus, and this service is over. Just go home. But, uh, (laughs) oh, man, I'm having fun today. So I'm going to just show us a a little bit through scripture uh, a a couple of times that we really see God saying, man, don't do that thing you want to do when you compare your life to somebody else's. So Hebrews chapter 12 is where I'm going to start. And I'm going to be all over the place today. Some of you that like to follow along, good luck. I'll put all the scriptures up here. I'm going to be in Hebrews. I'm going to be in 1 Samuel. I'm going to be in John chapter 20. So I'm going to be all over the place. But I'm in Hebrews. I'm going to start right here because I want you to catch the author's heart right here in chapter 12. Remember, in Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter, and we see all the heroes of the faith. And then he says this. He says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. He's saying we're surrounded by this hall of fame of, of people who have journeyed with God and had faith and believed that God could do something big. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders us. Ooh, that's good. What are the things that hinder you? What are the things that cause you to slow down in the race God's designed for you? The sin that so easily entangles Man, I could just camp right there and talk about who would you be if you weren't holding on to some things that you shouldn't be holding on to. Maybe you just need to feel that for a second. I'll wait. The sin that so easily entangles. And let us check this out. Run with perseverance the race marked out for us. He's saying you can't run their race. You got a race. And you got to. Throw off whatever entangles you from running your race and run the race that's marked out for you. And check this out, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of the faith. I was going to stop right there. He says they had a race and they ran their race and now you got a race. And you got to run your race. And the key to you running your race is you deal with anything that entangles you from staying in your lane and being who God's called you to be. You deal with that, and you keep your eyes focused on who? Jesus. Hmm. Run your race. Keep your eyes on whose face? Ooh, that was pretty good. Am I freestyle? I might. No? Okay. (laughs) Run your race. Keep your eyes on his face. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. So that, check this out, you will not grow weary and lose heart. He says, if you... Keep your eyes on Jesus. If you keep remembering what he did for you, if you stay in your lane, deal with your baggage, and run your race, and keep looking at Jesus, and stop looking from side to side, you know what won't happen? You won't get discouraged and lose heart. If I try to run Ruth's race, I'd already tapped out. Not only would my heart burst physically, but my heart uh, 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 and my attitude would just be crushed. And I couldn't show my face in here for a couple of weeks while I dealt with my pride issues, right? But for us, every time we start taking our eyes off Jesus, stop worrying about our own mess, and start looking around, we're at risk of losing heart. That's what he says. So I want to talk a little bit about this. Problem that we have with comparison because it leads to two things. When you compare yourself to someone else, it leads to one of two reactions either pride or envy. Because here's what happens I compare myself to you, and I think, hey, I'm doing all right. At least I'm not dealing with what he's dealing with, or I, my, my marriage doesn't have going on what their marriage has going on, or at least, and what is that? That's pride. That's me starting to puff my life up at your expense. That's me saying, hey, I'm So Let let me tell you a funny story. I'm 20, about one years old, and I buy my first car by myself. Right? I have that moment where I go to the dealer and I finagle with them and haggle with them. And I pick out a car, used car. It's a Nissan Altima, which I think is amazing at this point in my life. And I get the car. It takes like six hours. 'Cause that's just how long apparently it takes for them to say, okay, you can have this car now. And and I remember something that happened to me. Everywhere I drove for about three months, I had a conversation with every other driver. Like, would they switch cars with me if they could? Right? Cause I got my I got my you know my 96 Ultima, which is awesome, right? And I'm driving and I'm having a conversation. I'm like, yep, 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 uh, nope, yep, yep, nope, right? And I'm having this conversation. What is that? What is that thing that's swelling up inside of me because my amazing 1996 Nissan Altima, right? It's pride. But we it's playing the comparison game so I feel better about myself because I'm trying to look down on what so-and-so is Come on now. Do I need to go too much further because I could take it into your home? Come on. I could, t- I could take it into your neighborhood. I could take it onto the sports field when your kids are playing. I could take it pretty far. We could keep on going until, until I hit somebody. What is that thing? It takes us to one of two places. The first place is pride. Second place it takes us is envy. Because we're not equal with no one. We're running our own race. So I may look over at what's going on in your life and go, ah, dang it. Why don't I have that? Why didn't God bless me that way? Why am I not taller? Why can't I sing? Why is my beard gray when it's growing in instead of big and full like Jeff's over here? Right? Why? Why? I had to trim it because it was too gray. Envy. <laughs> My wife's smiling at me and nodding her head. But we have one of two reactions. We can't have a neutral reaction when we start playing this game. It doesn't exist. And so we start having uh, either I'm doing okay, right, or I wish I had what you had. I wish I had what you had. And here's what the envy thing does that's so dangerous. Is pretty soon I start wondering why I don't have what you have. And if I follow that down far enough, pretty soon I start thinking maybe I got short somewhere. Maybe, I, maybe God loves you more than he loves me. Why did, why did God make you taller, sing, sing more, give you a better start-off family, give you whatever it is that, that I feel like got you to the place where you're ahead of where I am? And envy eventually turns towards a distrust of God. It's me essentially, it's the most ingracious, ungracious I can possibly be. Envy eventually takes me to a place where I look at God and say, whatever you did with me, I got the short end of the stick. I got ripped off. Why can't I have all my hair? Come on, Jesus. Come on. Let's just feel that for a moment. All right. Dealing with it still, right? Pride makes me feeling like I'm better. Envy says I got ripped off. And those are the only two possible reactions to playing the comparison game. I can't have a neutral reaction because I'm not the same as you. I'm not the same as you, so I can't. So it takes me to one of those few places. Here's why that's so dangerous. James 3.16 says, from wherever you have envy, there it is, selfish ambition, there's pride, right? There you'll find disorder and every evil practice. You see, those two things, pride and envy, take us down a cliff and eventually It affects our behavior. It gets to the point of disorder and evil practice takes us out of the will and the plan of God. See, comparison is a step. You know what's funny about comparison? Comparison's been the devil's move all along. All along. I mean, come on. He was the worship leader in heaven, and he's like, everybody's worshiping, and I'm doing such a good job. Why can't I be at the top of of where God is? Instead of here as the worship leader, why can't I have that role? What's he got that I don't got? That comparison game, that was his first move. How about the garden? Hey, if you eat this, won't you be like God? Sure, You won't surely die. You'll be more like God. Don't you want to be more like God? Don't you want to compare where you're at, the state of your existence to who God is, and try to be more like that? Isn't what you are not good enough? Isn't what you are somehow robbed or shortchanged or somehow you didn't get all that you possibly could get? Comparison's been the devil's move since the beginning. I mean, I just went to the as far back as I can go. I could take you all the way through the scriptures and I'll take you to a couple different places. But that's been his move is to get you and I thinking somehow we don't got what we should have or I'm so glad I got what I got. I don't need what he has. Either one of those moves is a great move for him. And that's the trap. That's what happens when we get caught into a cycle of comparing ourselves. When we get caught into, I wish my family looked like their family. I wish I had what they had. I wish my job looked like this. I wish I had his position. I wish I had her looks. I wish I had her uh, uh, money. Whatever it is, right? I wish I had. I wish I had. And it just begins this process of building pride and envy into our hearts and into our lives. And that is where we find disorder in every evil practice. That's what causes it. Now, what's interesting to me, what's interesting to me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip a little bit here and go to 2 Corinthians ten twelve. Paul talks about the identity issues that we tend to have. And he says this, he says, I love this, because Paul recognizes that we all have this, this dilemma. He says, we don't dare classify or compare ourselves with someone who commends themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. That's a lot of words for Paul to say, hey, if you get stuck trying to measure up to somebody else or trying to measure up in some way that you think you're entitled to, you know what you are? You ain't wise. That's what you are. You're ain't wise. Write that down. (laughs) You're not wise. He says dangerous. You're foolish. It's a mistake. Don't get stuck in this trap. It's dangerous. It's not wise to live there. He has to use all of these words to get us to understand there is this cyclical pattern of comparison that gets in us and we get trapped in that and we want to commend ourselves or we want to measure ourselves somehow we want to say i'm a good enough this or or i'm almost a good enough that and we and paul says hey when you get stuck in that you know what you're not here's what you're not you're not wise you're not wise so don't get stuck there so i'm gonna give you two uh if I'm going to give you two crazy, just good examples from the scriptures. I'm going to give you an Old Testament story and a New Testament story. Some of you are like, you never preach Old Testament enough? I'm going to give you Old Testament. You know, a new te- I'm going to give you New Testament, all right? So if you got your Bibles, go to First Samuel chapter 18. And I want, to, I want to show you this incredible picture of what happens when comparison creeps into our hearts. If you look at this passage, right before this, right before this, David has just done something amazing, Right? he took a look at what was happening on the battlefield. And there was this giant with all this swagger saying, who's willing to fight me? Your God is weak and scared. I'm going to take you on. That's in the scriptures. You can look back. And then, and then David's like, I got this. Someone give me my rocks and my little sling and I'll take them down. Right. And David shows up on the scene. He's a shepherd. He's there to bring lunch to his brothers, and he sees, you know, his brothers are fighting. He's not even fighting, but he sees this giant that's offending the people of God, who's challenging the people of God, and essentially saying, your God's got nothing, and he's like, let me show you what my God's got, and I love it, because David is, is no joke. He's like, He's like, I'm going to throw a rock at this uncircumcised fellow, and I love that, because I mean, let's face it, that's, that's how Christians swear, right? We, we, we pick out we pick out things in the Bible that we can, like, make fun of someone on, but we say it, like, in a biblical way. And he's like, like that's, like, the way to be really rude to somebody. So, so he's like, oh, I'm going you know, to get this uncircumcised fellow. And he, and he gets his rock, and we know the story. I don't have to, you know, he swings it around and whoo, hits him in the dome. Down goes Goliath. He takes his sword, chops his head off. And then all of Israel is like, yeah, our God is awesome. We forgot. And they run at the Philistines, and they rout the army. Okay? And so that's what happens right before this. So now they're partying. They're like, woo, God showed up. It's awesome. And here's this new kid, David. He's awesome. And they're coming back to camp. And as they come back to camp, verse 6, 1 Samuel chapter 18 says, When the men were returning home after David had killed who? The Philistine. I want you to hear that. David had killed who? The Philistine. Okay. The women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul. And they were singing and dancing. It's a party, man. They've been getting punked for a long time, and now they're partying. So the women came out to meet King Saul, and they were singing and dancing with joyful songs and with tambourines and with lutes. And it says, as they danced, and here it comes. They sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. How many did David slew? Slay. That's like Santa rides, right? I'm, I don't know the grammar. How many did he kill? <laughs> right. But what are they singing? Yeah. Right? So what happens to Saul? Because Saul was very angry, and this refrain displeased him greatly. See, here was Saul. Saul's running his race. Just running his race. He's like, yeah, we won. Yeah. They're coming back. We won. We won. And then the ladies come out. Come on, fellas. And the ladies are like, Saul, you killed your thousands. He's like, yeah, David, his tens of thousands. Wait, what? Wait, what? Are you kidding me? I'm the king. You know how Saul got to be king? The scriptures say he was the best looking and the tallest. That's how he got to be king. Now listen, if the Bible says you're the best looking, no one can say you're not good looking, okay? Because it's in the book, like the Word of God confirms this dude was good looking, okay? And so he's the best looking, and the tallest. And we know that David was like the runt of the litter of his brothers, right? And and Saul's come in, he's running his race, he's like, right? And here he comes. Saul has killed his thousands, yeah. And David his tens of wait wait what? Thousands? And he loses it. It says the refrain displeased him greatly. And look at his response. They have credited David with tens of thousands. Just imagine the whiny voice of, of the king, right? The best looking dude, like the the tallest, and he's like, They've credited David with his tens of thousands, but me with only thousands, like this whine comes out of him. And then look at this. What more can he get? but the kingdom verse 9 and from that time on Saul kept a what a jealous eye on David Saul was running his race he was doing what he was supposed to do and one little phrase about how awesome someone else was changed he took his eyes he was running in his lane and he's like oh David's going that 9.3 I'm going I got to crank it up I don't want to go nine right on this thing And it changed his perspective. He got his eyes off of his lane. And it absolutely ended his effectiveness as king. If you read the rest of the story, the very next verse, demonic influences begin to get into his life. And he's chucking spears at David. He starts planning to send David out to uh, battles that there's no hope he can win so that David will hopefully get killed. His entire kingship from this point on is marked By this jealousy and hatred to someone who has shown no offense to him. Who sang the song? The ladies. David didn't come home singing. I killed my tens of thousands. Saul, you ain't got nothing on me. Right? None of that happened. If that happened, we could understand the story. Right? I might chuck a spear at him if I was the king. That might happen. That's not what happened. But come on, fellas. The ladies came out. And the ladies started singing. And they were like, Woo, we like this new guy. But here's what's funny. In the, in the verse of their song, can we, can we put that back up there? The Saul, you've killed your thousands, right? Or David's, yeah, there it is, right? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. I, I was doing some, some work on this passage. And the reality is that was just a way to phrase a large number. This is obviously not a literal number. We don't know how many David killed. We know that he's credited with one. Then we know the army's kind of surged. He might have been in the battle a little bit after that, still swinging. I mean, he had Goliath's sword that he couldn't pick up, and he had four more rocks left. So he might have been able to do a little bit of damage, but we have no indication that he really did anything after that in the battle. But here's the thing. If you look at what the ladies are really singing, they're not saying – it's the same way like if I was doing math with you guys, and I was like, you know, I got a uh, $100, but they got thousands and thousands ten thousands of dollars. Like you would build up like they got tens of thousands of dollars. Like if we were doing that kind of comparison, it, it's just typical language, how you would kind of word that. They're not even literally giving David like some kind of massive credit. Basically what they're saying is we're really glad they're all dead and David and Saul were involved in that. That's all that's really happening here. But here's what happens when we're prone to the comparison game. We perceive offense where no offense is even intended we get sensitive because we are predisposed to compare ourselves with other people right he got to be king because he was best looking it's already in his dna that there's a comparison thing going on and we begin to perceive slights that maybe were never intended to be slights but we can't deal with it why because we're stuck in this comparison trap and saul takes his eyes off of his lane he looks at david's race It derails his life. That's the end of him. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to fast forward you about 2,300 years or so. And Jesus is talking to Peter. I'm in first John, I'm in John chapter 20 now. And Peter has uh, blown it. Peter denied Jesus three times and told Jesus he'd never deny him and he denied him. Jesus goes to the cross. He raises from the dead. Everybody's excited but Peter's not excited because he's feeling shame from his failure So he goes fishing because that's what he knows how to do To fill his time and that's his profession and jesus shows up and he has this power encounter with peter and he says peter Do you love me? And peter says yeah, I love you and he goes feed my sheep He does this three times with them and peter's heartbroken. He's like lord, you know, I love you and then peter's get something from Jesus that is a little unexpected. Verse 18, John chapter 20, he's kind of broken him down. And you think that Jesus is going to be comforting in this moment. Like, hey, now that you're feeding my sheep, we're going to be cool again. That's not what he does. He says, hey, very truly I tell to you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Now listen, he's saying, when you were younger, you had control of your life. When you're older, you're not going to be in control. Someone's going to take you where you don't want to go. He says, they're going, to, they're going to kill you. So Peter, I just want you to know, you just said you love me and you're going to feed my sheep. Just so you know, it's not going to end well for you if you do that. You're going to die. You're going to pay for your, with, it, with your life. Now that's a harsh, like, thanks Jesus, that's awesome. Thanks for letting me know. You said I'm going to be the rock that you build your church on. I'm feeling like dirt already. You three times had to kind of reaffirm that you're going to move through me. And you just want to end with this high note, by the way, while you're younger, enjoy it because you're going to have some control of what happens, but you're not going to have control at the end. They're going to take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this, verse 19, to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. Now, John's writing this, and I love John because he refers to himself as the disciple who Jesus loved. And if I wrote the gospel, I would say the same thing about myself. And so I totally get that. So this is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the Supper, at the Last Supper, and uh, had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? So when Peter saw him, he said, I love this. Hey, Lord, what about him? I want you to see the visual. Jesus... Is talking to Peter and he's like, Hey, this isn't going to end well for you. When you die, you're going to be led to the cross and someone's going to take you where you don't want to go. And Peter's looking around and he goes, Hey, John's back there. What about that guy? Like, here's what he's looking for. At least, is it going to stink for him too? Like, at least affirm that if it's going to be a disaster for me, it's going to be a disaster for everyone else. And we have this happen to us all the time. When we're going through tough times, we immediately look around and say, hey, this guy's been on a similar path to me. They're in the same career field, same age, same whatever it is. And when things are getting tough, we immediately go, hey, what about that guy, God? What about him? This, is, this seems hard right now. What about what happens to him? And I love Jesus' response. He doesn't say, don't worry, everyone's going to have a hard time. He says, hey, if I want him to reign alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. I want you to catch this. Hey. Hey. His life ain't your problem. Get out of his business. If I want to do something amazing for him, what's that to you? Now, what ends up happening here is a rumor gets started because they they, Jesus uses an example and they think, oh, maybe John's never gonna die, and that's not what he's saying. He's just making an example. It's kind of like this. Ever ever been frustrated that your finances aren't going well? And you're like, God, how come my finances aren't going well? I wish that, you know, I had Andrew's ability to just find every 11 cents that ever i ever spent in my whole life and i can track it all the way back to when i was about seven years old and the first time when i put it in my piggy bank i know where it is today and i know it was a 1978 penny and i know it was faded and it was chipped on the right like i want what about him he gonna struggle too and god says what if i want to just you know have him win the lottery what's that that's not your problem wait seriously god are you kidding me I just want to hear that it's going to be fair. Oh, God says fair isn't part of this. I don't measure fair the way you measure fair. What I measure is I got a plan for Andrew. And whatever I do with Andrew is the plan I'm going to do with Andrew. And you don't worry about what I do with Andrew. You got your own mess that you got to work out. You got your own problems. You got your own sin that entangles you. You got your own run race to run. You got your own place to keep your feet going. You can't run this race. You try to run this race, you'll fail. You try to run this race, you'll suffer. You're not a very good Ruth. Don't try to be Ruth. You'll struggle. I can't be Ruth. I may wish I could, but I can't. And the more time I spend frustrated thinking, why can't I Ruth? The the worse it's going to get. So Jesus is like, what is it to you? If I sprout wings on her and she can fly, that's not your problem. Your problem is to do what? You. You do you. You can't do Ruth. It won't work. Not a thing, Jesus looks at Peter and says, "What is that to you?" And then I love this: As for you, you must follow me. Remember, run your race, keep your eyes on his face. He says, "You run the race you're supposed to run. You be the best you you can be, not the best somebody else. but God that's not fair. Jesus says, so, who told you this thing was fair? Who told you what fair was? Why do you believe this lie of fairness? Paul says, all the parts of the body are important. None of them deserve dishonor. All of them matter. And just because the eye can't be a toe or the nose can't be the fingers, doesn't mean the nose is less or more important than the fingers. You be who God designed you to be. And here's the problem is who do we look at then to know what we're supposed to do? What's our map for comparison? Here's our tension that we get frustrated over and over again because we've got to find a way. How am I going to know how to do me? What is that? And the scripture points us to this inalienable truth that you were uniquely designed and gifted and structured and formed by the hand of the living God. The Bible says that you're a masterpiece. The Bible says that you literally are God's masterpiece. That's not just like fancy verbiage or pastor words. That's not somehow me trying to articulate for you some truth that I've manipulated to make it sound better. The scriptures tell us, Ephesians 2.10, that you are God's masterpiece. That you are designed by God so that you can do the good things that he planned for you to do. You're God's masterpiece. Thank you, Ruth. Hey, you know what? You're God's masterpiece. Appreciate you. Thanks for running. Can we give Ruth a little hand for showing us how it's done? Yeah. I want you to catch this. You're God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we could do the good things he planned for us long ago. Your role is to be the best Version of you and some of you are thinking well, I don't know what that is. The best version of you plus Jesus is enough Did you hear that the best version of you plus Jesus is enough and some of you are like, well Well, I I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm a school teacher. What does that mean? So what your job is to be the best version of you plus Jesus teaching that class so that everybody who comes in that class meets you and who? Jesus Some of you are like well, I'm in the military. How does that even how does that even work? You be the best version of you plus Jesus, and you stuff that parachute and make sure that person lives, right? Michael's like, what? don't stop talking about me. <laughs> Everybody, this is Michael. He's amazing, serving our country. He's a good man. But listen, some of you are like, What? Well, I stay at home. I'm a stay at home parent. You be the best version of you plus a stay at home parent plus Jesus. And you show the world what it looks like when you plus Jesus raise some babies. Okay? You show your neighbors what it looks like when you plus Jesus raise your kids. Not when you and someone else when someone else raises their kids, but you plus Jesus raising your kids, what that looks like. Some of you are like, well, I'm, I'm retired now. Okay, what do you plus Jesus look like as you be retired? What does that look like? How does that mercy come out? How does that grace come out? How, how is how you're designed? Everybody who runs into you meets what? You plus Jesus. You're like, oh, but I'm not, as, I'm not as well off as someone else. You retired some other way. Okay, great. What do you care what God does with them? That's not your problem. What God did with you, you follow him. And you'd be the best version of you plus Jesus doing whatever it is you do right where you are well i'm not sure what i'm supposed to do with my life what are you doing right now you keep being you plus jesus in every one of those environments well i'm just running out running errands okay what does it look like when you and jesus go run errands right what does it look like when you and jesus pull into walmart right what does that look like yeah i got tense in here no one wanted to make eye contact it started with some my parking spot and ended with some is are so slow right i don't know what does it look like when you and Jesus do you? Because that's the goal. The scripture tells that's what's expected. That's how you succeed. That's how you fulfill what God's designed you to do. And we, listen, I can go really heavy into this. I don't know how far we can go. But, but some of us, some of you have been listening to the song that someone sang and it tainted your heart, and it got into your soul. Someone said, your brother's better than you. You just ain't good as your brother, right? Some song got in you, and it's been hanging around, and all of a sudden you got your eyes off your race, and you started trying to run your brother's race. And you can't be your brother. Your brother plus Jesus is better at being him than you plus your brother plus Jesus can be another version of your brother, right? You can't do it. You'll fail at it. Now, I know this is real because this happens to us pastor types all the time. We can sit in a conference that's supposed to be speaking life into us. And you know what we're thinking? Why can't I preach like that guy? Right? Man, God, why did you trust him with more than you trust I, I I wish I could be a better whatever that guy is than I, you know. Bill Hybels than I am. I I want to be a better Bill Hybels. I want to be a better Rick Warren than Rick Warren. But are you kidding me? I'm not Bill Hybels. I'm not Rick Warren. I'm Mike Allison. That's all I got to worry about. I got to be me plus Jesus doing the thing I'm called to do. And if God blesses you more than me, less than me, however scale I want to do, it's indifferent. I'm indifferent to that because I got to follow him. If you're driving the thing I wish I was driving or cashing the checks I wish I was chasing or raising the kids I wish I was raising or having the household I wish I was having, whatever, I mean, none of that matters. All I can do is me plus Jesus with what he's called me to today. So what happens? We pick up these chains. Come on now. as we're cruising through life. You don't cook like my mom. How about that one? Woo! Want to call your mom, have her come make dinner then? Because I'm out, right? No, come on. <laughs> you want it to get tense? Start comparing somebody, right? But you've been hearing some songs. You've been hearing some voices. And sometimes those voices are, are, they're just not even, they're not even aimed at you. But you picked it up because you're sensitive, right? You're scrolling through someone's Photoshop picture going, man, I wish I had their whatever. Come on. But it happens. It in our soul. Man, how do they manage to balance all those things? And still have good nutrition and good you know, and you're just like, man, if I could just get some mac and cheese on the table at the end of the day I made it! Thank you Jesus, right? Come on. You plus Jesus is enough. Would you stand with me? And I, I just, I feel like there's a tension that we got to deal with before we leave and I'm, I don't want to let us leave without processing this tension a little bit for some of us the comparison game is our normal our normal state we haven't even considered the consequences of it we just every interaction we walk into we immediately start going okay what does this person have that i don't have and we just i mean it's just all we know we just process that and it has never even occurred to us that it has broken us it has led to all the stuff that james said it leads to and it has led to in us a pride, or in us an envy, or in us a a sense of non-gratefulness to the creator of the universe. And we haven't even identified. We just know there's something sick in us, but we can't even figure out what it is. And if we can't look at the creator of the universe and be grateful for every breath that he's given us, for the life that he's given us, for the family that he's given us, because all we can do is filter it through the lens of, of, of somebody else's expectations. And what you need to hear today is you weren't designed to run their race. If you ran your race, life would be awesome. You could be an amazing you. You hear that? You could be an amazing you. I'd love to know the amazing you. I don't want to meet your ambassador, which is you trying to be somebody else. You're not good at that, much as you try. It's not the best version. I don't care about that thing. Some of you, the expectations that... Were thrown on you were just pounded into you from the very beginning you got to do better you got to be Why aren't you smarter your brother got better grades your sister never leaves a mess like this she always had her room clean she always went come on we all had one of those right she always had her stuff yeah it's like she knew we were about to get in trouble and then she went and made sure that her stuff looked good just so that she can play the comparison game right i'm the only one that had okay all right had to deal with that kind of stuff And it got in us that we were just a little bit less than. Some of us, we just admitted defeat. It was like, okay, God, you know, here's just my cross to carry. I'm just a little bit less than everybody else, right? Are you serious? What a dishonor towards your God to assume that somehow you are less than what he designed you to be. Get out of here with that lie. That is a lie from the pit of hell. The enemy's been playing that lie since he believed it before the fall of man. It's his go-to move to put into the cracks of you some doubt that God really loves you, that God designed you the way he intended you to be, that God cares for you, that God has a plan for you, that you plus him is enough. If he can just put a seed of doubt into that, he can get you falling off the treadmill, because I can't be rude. Stop trying. Stop trying. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to have, we're going to, we're going to sing this again. And I just really am believing that God's going to break through some things. And so, so here, here's what I'd like you to do for just a moment before we, before we sing, and not because it's more spiritual to close your eyes, but because it just gives you a sense of, of privacy in in the room. But I just feel like God wants to he wants to break through for some of us a little bit today some of the things that we've been believing, some of, the, some of the stuff we've been trying to run somebody else's race, or we've been envious of somebody else's race. Or, come on, God forbid, we've been proud of the race we ran, like somehow we did something to accomplish this. It's because we're so good, we're so smart, we're so frugal, we're so whatever it is, like somehow God didn't design you that way. We've taken the credit. And it's led to pride in our hearts saying, God, we didn't even need you, God. And so uh, uh, for just a moment, we're going to just, just I'm closing my eyes. You can close your eyes just for privacy for a moment. But here's what I want to do. And the band's going to take us through and we're going to sing. But I just, I want to give us an opportunity to respond. Say, so, yeah, you know what? I may not have even realized some of the lies I was believing. But... Got into the Word of God. The scripture says it's for freedom. Freedom that we're set free. Just for freedom's sake. Some of us need to be free today. So if you're here and that's you, nobody's looking around, and if they are, I don't really care. You just do you. And you say, you know what, I'm I'm missing some freedom here, and I just need to I need to be okay with who God made when He made me. Because me plus him is enough. Just as an outward sign of that inward thing that's happening, would you just lift a hand and just say, yeah, that's me. i got to do that. And you can keep that hand up, and we're going to begin to just sing. And as we sing, I'm going to believe that the spirit of the living God is going to break that. He's going to break that. God, I'm just I'm so aware of how deep some of the wounds are, how long we've been carrying it, that it's just become a, a system, a pattern of behavior even in some of us to, to believe the lie that somehow we're not good enough or somehow we, we, we've run ahead of the pack and we're leading the way. God, I just want to be who you've designed me to be. God, I just pray right now those chains would begin to break. They'd begin to fall. I pray the weight of someone else's expectation that they threw on us when they said, you don't look good enough, you don't talk well enough, you're not smart enough, you're not rich enough, you're not whatever it is enough. God, those are lies from the pit of hell, and we refuse to accept that in our lives. That is not who you designed. Your word says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that we are your masterpiece, your workmanship, that you created us. When you created us, you had a purpose for us in the kingdom, that we fit, that God, we are, we plus you represent the church alive in this community in Puyallup in Tacoma and beyond. We can begin to transform things not by our will but by your power and your might you can change families you can change relationships you can heal marriages you can receive what the what the enemy has attempted to steal and kill and destroy you can break chains of bondage of sin you can break patterns of behavior When when we believe those things are all that we can do it's because we've taken our eyes off of who you've designed us to be and we've contented ourselves even running a lesser race than what you designed us to race we won't be dragged away from our purpose by the sin that wants to entangle us that wants to ensnare us but when we deal with that we keep our eyes focused on you. We consider what you did for us. Then in the midst of that fight, we can continue, and we don't have to lose heart. We weren't designed to lose heart. I pray for hearts that have been broken, for hearts that have been in pain, that hearts that have had heart disease, God, and the inside where depression has told on, where where the enemy has tried to speak death. We bring life by the name of Jesus, by the power of Jesus. Restore, revive, bring life. Your spirit can fill, can transform, can make new. You make all things new. We're more than conquerors through him who is in us. God, greater is he who is in us than he is in the world. There is nothing that is impossible for us, God. It is what you have designed, not what our hearts would want, but simply what you've designed us to do, God. Break the chains. Break them, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Break Break them. Break them. We're going to sing that hymn again, turn your eyes, and this is going to be my prayer for you, that we would do this, that we would take our eyes off all of this, all of whatever whatever we find in this, whatever, whatever it is that we put our eyes on, and we would turn our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher. Amen. Listen, I'm aware for some of you, there may just need to be some some more next level stuff. And so the prayer teams are going to come on up here. And if you'd like some prayer, especially just some specific prayer, um, they're going to be here and willing to pray with you. But, but listen, I don't know what you think about me or pastors in general or churches, but I'm just going to speak some truth. You plus Jesus is enough. Okay? You plus Jesus is enough. Wherever you're at is enough doesn't mean he doesn't have great things still to come but right where you're at right now you're not ripped off you're not short-changed you're not more awesome than you think you are you're enough you're perfectly placed with your savior to be you plus jesus wherever you are and that is awesome and that is the truth so we love you Have an awesome week in the Lord. If you haven't picked up your giving report and you want to help us save some money from spending postage on mailing it to you, stop by out here and grab that. God bless you. Give someone a hug. Tell them they made it. And have an awesome week in the Lord. The Perkins will be up here. Yeah. us off back there.